Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of the show. It's episode 352. What is it? Uh, woo, November 29th, 2022, nearing the end of the year. And uh, we're gearing up for a big week. Of course, the, the CKLV, the Cliff King Las Vegas invite, is this weekend, Friday and Saturday out in Las Vegas. A long-standing tradition. Um, probably the longest-standing prestigious tournament, college tournament that there is right now. Um, and our guests for today's show run run the CKLV, and, and one of them founded it, I believe. Uh, Mark Chirella and Ryan Chirella, father and son duo, uh, Michigan wrestlers, and now, well, a lot of things, but one of them is, is running this tournament. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. How are you? Doing well. Good, Mark. Thanks for having us. Thank, yeah, thanks for coming on, guys. And, and I definitely want to talk about the CKLV and the, the tournament and how it came to be, and, and it is what it is today. But I do want to dig, get a little background. Um, Mark, I know you're a three-time NCAA champ. I heard a lot about you uh, over the years. And at Michigan, four-time All-American. What was I, – I, I'm guessing there wasn't, like, youth clubs like there is today. Uh, was How did you get into wrestling? Was it middle school, high school? Is it through the school? Kind of how does one get introduced to wrestling at that point in time? Yeah, middle school. Um, we had – actually, it was junior high school. You know, in my era, 7th, 8th, ninth was one school, and high school was a three-year process. I wrestled in the 7th grade because it was the only varsity sport you could do in junior high school, and I was absolutely horrible. I mean, I was a terrible wrestler. I knew nothing. I went out there. I was, you know, if you don't know how to wrestle, it's a scary thing, especially like if you're in the starting lineup and it was, uh, it was bad, but I, I knew it was a one-year deal and I was going to play basketball. And my goal was always to play basketball at the university of Michigan point guard. I had the whole vision, you know, growing up, that's what my thing was. And then uh, in the eighth grade, I started playing basketball. And they had this crazy thing where they had a, uh, a millage failure, which is when the, the voters vote down the additional money needed for extracurriculars. And they canceled basketball just at the start of the season and kept wrestling. And the coaches told me, you're really not that good at basketball. You should stay in wrestling. And I'm like, I was horrible in wrestling. I don't even know where they got that from. But I figured it out. In that eighth grade year, I actually got pretty good. And then by the ninth grade, I was like uh, figuring out that all you got to do is really work hard. And I loved the hard work part. And so I stayed focused on that. And the rest of it just kind of fell in by ninth grade. Um, you know, I won a, a junior national title, AAU title, uh, got to high school and started winning seriously. And I went to the Granby School of Wrestling, you know, in the eighth grade. I also went to a camp and this guy, Don Beam who became a you know, lifelong friend. Don was silver medalist in the Olympics. And I credit my fireman's carry to Don Beam. Uh, you know, he still tells me we're the only two that really have good ones, you know, and <laughs> possibly because, you know, I have his. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the rest of it is um, just kind of flowed through there. But the club system in, of my era uh, didn't exist till the end of my college career. And then they truly had it. And, you know, we had the Michigan Wrestling Club which like uh, myself, Steve Frazier wrestled for, but I was the first guy that was like a free agent that left the Michigan wrestling club and went to this brand new club in Arizona, the sun kiss kids. So I was like the first year of the sun kiss kids. So it was like myself and you guys like you know, Dave Schultz was part of the sun kiss kids. And, you know, there were guys out in Arizona, obviously Billy Rosado and, you know, that whole crew. 
And, uh, you know, I only stayed a year after I graduated because after they boycotted the games and I was done. And I had a, I had a pregnant wife and one on the way. And, you know, I was making 12 grand a year and, uh, you know, being poor in wrestling just wasn't appealing at that point. Sure. And, and, and that was it. It's so ironic. I was at the right word that they cut rest. They cut basketball and kept wrestling. And that's, that's why you like, if they'd kept basketball, maybe, you know, you probably just would have kept on playing basketball. Maybe none of this ever happens. And they never cut basketball instead of wrestling. So <laughs> well, it, it's, it's a crazy thing. I mean, I think back on it and uh, you know, life has some funny things that happen, little twists and turns. And, you know, it, it, what was it just, uh, you know, happenstance you know this just all of a sudden happened in my life and then it changed the complete direction um i don't know Maybe, you know what i've just decided after eighth grade i just you know belonged in wrestling after i played basketball but knowing my personality i would have thought oh, i'll just get better i'll just keep beating these other guys and you know realizing i'm never gonna get past five nine and out really well i mean obviously it's uh, I, I would have been a, a, a far poorer basketball player than i was wrestling I'm, sure. I'm convinced of that well, <laughs> we've been a pretty damn good basketball player. It, it, was, it was comparable. Uh, and then you, so you coached at UNLV from uh, end of the seventies and the, into the early eighties. Did they discontinue when you were there, or, and what was that like? Yeah, I got to uh, I got to UNLV in seventy nine, uh, and I was the assistant coach uh, for a guy named Dennis Finfrock, who became you know, a great entrepreneur and doing a lot of stuff in Vegas. But Dennis was a high school coach, became the coach at UNLV because he founded the program at UNLV. Uh, he convinced me to come out there. I trained from 80, 79, 80. And then after the boycott, stayed one more year as his assistant. Dennis became the director of the Thomas and Mack Arena uh, and an associate athletic director. Myself and Pat Christensen were assistant coaches. Um, and I became the head. Pat was an assistant with me for a year. And then he went on to work at the uh, Thomas and Mac with Dennis. And so the three years I was the head coach is when I started originally the um, what was called the Western Open for one year and then had the uh, the idea to um, have the uh, what was then called the Caesars Palace Las Vegas Collegiate Wrestling Invitational. And I did that the second year I was coaching there um, in 84. They dropped the program. And, you know, that was in the height of Title Nine and. They were so far out of compliance uh, as a university and what they needed to do. And they had to add a number of women's activities. So it was either, you know, and at that point, you know, I was raising a lot of money. You know, they gave us scholarships. We had no operating budget, zero. So you're out in the community asking people for money all the time. And basically, I would talk about UNLV basketball, Jerry Tarkanian, and I'm the wrestling coach and I need some money. Uh, and that's what they would do. You know, I would, I would raise funds and I, you know, decided I was almost a professional fundraiser. And then when they cut the program or announced they were going to cut the program, they gave me the opportunity to keep it. If I wanted to raise all the scholarship money too. Well, that, you know, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't plausible to do it at that point. So, you know, that's when I decided we we're going to pick up and after our five years in Vegas, moved back to Michigan and then coached at U of M for two years. And, uh, at the same time, uh, got in business with my dad. He got really sick, had a heart attack, and I ended up taking over his company. And, you know, we had a small company with four employees, and today we have a bigger enterprise. That's fantastic. Um, so, Ryan, to, to have a couple questions for you. I mean, so did you kind of just grow up on a wrestling mat? If, if he's coaching at Michigan when you're pretty young, I think, 
Um, were you kind of always around wrestling or was that not till at some point later? So it, it's kind of funny because like anybody who doesn't know us, that just knows like, you know, my dad's accolades or knows, you know, that we've all been involved in wrestling at, you know, at some point in our life or for a big part, portion of our life would think like we started wrestling at a really young age, but it's actually the opposite. Um, we, we were around the sport. Yes. Because, you know, my dad had the Vegas tournament that we would go out to at a young age. Uh, we would go to like the university of Michigan home matches, but we, we didn't start wrestling until we were in middle school. And that was kind of an idea my dad had around, you know, he knew, he knew that like there were kids that started really young that had a lot of success, but there were also a lot of kids that started at a young age that got burned out quickly. And, you know, for us, it was, you know, my parents always pushed us in the direction of, you know, doing a lot of team sports and trying a lot of different things. Um, and back in, you know, the, the days that you and I grew up, you know, we didn't, it wasn't about specializing in one sport. So it was more about, you know, try a lot of different things and kind of see what sticks. And then when you get a little bit older, then you maybe focus a little bit more on um, one or two different things. Uh, so we, as we started getting a little bit older, and, and this is more so for my brother, Josh and I, uh, because my brother, Mark was far better athlete and all around athlete than Josh and I were. Josh was a good athlete, but I was the, the, um, the least athletically gifted out of the three of us. And um, so Josh and I were eager to start wrestling at a younger age. So I, I'd say we were in like fourth or fifth grade and we'd start bugging my dad about, you know, Hey, can we go to this tournament? We know somebody that's wrestling at it, or, you know, can we do this or that? And, and he was always, you know, kind of pushed back and said, no, just keep doing what you're doing. When you get to middle school, if you want to wrestle, he goes, I'll be able to get you caught up to where all these other kids are at and you'll learn quick enough. And so we kind of just, you know, at that time, just thought, didn't really think twice about it and kept doing what we were doing. Um, you know, the other thing is, is my dad in the mid to late 80s and maybe even into the early 90s had a wrestling camp in Michigan that was a partnership with him and Steve Frazier, which eventually became Steve Frazier ended up turning it into the bad boys camp. Um, and had that for a long time when my dad ended up um, backing out of the, I think you stopped doing the camp probably what, in the early 90s? Yeah, I don't even remember. Some, some, it, it was probably in, actually in the late 80s, maybe to 90. But, uh, yeah. but I, it did was a few, cool, I did a few years and then that was it. Yeah, it was a cool camp because it was in northern Michigan for the years that we would go. And we had a cottage in northern Michigan um, and it was in Traverse City uh, at a small college up there. And so we were exposed to a lot of wrestling throughout our, our upbringing, but never wrestled. You know, we would wrestle with some of the counselors at the camps and that camp back in the day in the late eighties had some of the top guys in the world on the U S team, like guys like Kenny Monday, um, all the former Michigan, you know, uh, athletes like Joe McFarland, Kirk Trose, guys that ended up being my coaches later in life. Um, you know, I knew them at a very young age because of these camps and going to the, the Michigan wrestling matches. So we definitely were exposed at a young age. But we didn't, my first competition was when I was in seventh grade and we had a, a program in our junior high that was a six week long season. And it basically allowed you to play all the winter sports. So you do wrestling for six weeks and then you do basketball for six weeks. Unfortunately for me, I never made the basketball team. So wrestling was my only winter sport. Um, but uh, we did that and then we, we started getting more um, involved, kind of like my dad's story. You know, we started focusing more on wrestling once we got to high school. So he says... Hey, if you want to wrestle, you start in seventh grade, I'll get you caught up, right? Did he get you caught up? Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, <laughs> it definitely, uh, I mean, he had a, he was, um, 
he was very good at like teaching technique and, and making a believer out of you. Um, and, you know, you wanted to win for him. He was one of those coaches that not just because he was my dad, but he was a motivator and he's somebody that, that believed in you. And in turn, you know, it definitely showed in, in, you know, your capability as a wrestler. So he got involved in, you know, in junior high, we did a little bit, but really it wasn't much outside of the season. Like we didn't, we did some freestyle stuff in the summer, but we weren't traveling like the kids travel nowadays. Yeah. And then in high school, my dad became one of the assistant coaches and was very involved in everything that we were doing. And he definitely got us caught up. I mean, the things he was able to teach us in a short time frame from my freshman year when I didn't make it out of the district tournament to making it to the state finals and losing in double overtime my sophomore year in high school, um, I made such a big jump and then went on to win it the next two years you know, what he told us definitely, you know, it definitely came true. Mark, why did you, or, or maybe more specifically, kind of what did you do to get them caught up in such a short period of time? Well, I think that there's a couple things. One, <clears throat> just to go back for a second, you know, why, why did I encourage him not to wrestle during that period of time? <clears throat> I really believe, you know, I mean, there's no entitlement in wrestling. It's not like you're anointed. Because, you know, you, you share a name yeah. and all of a sudden you're supposed to have this immediate success. And then there's a lot of pressure put on you. Um, wrestling is one of those sports that you have to accept the, the hard work that's going to be necessary. That's the first thing. And secondly, it's the, you know, the, the mental aspect of the sport. And if you decide you're going to do it, and this is what I told the boys, if you're going to do it, I'll take you there. I mean, I, I know that path. I, I know how to wrestle it. I know how to teach it. And I'm very comfortable with that whole process. So when we got to the point that they wanted to start to wrestle, uh, I let them know, in my opinion, what it takes to win at the highest level. And that means as soon as you start being serious about it. So we're in the ninth grade. You want to wrestle? Uh, you're going to get really serious really fast. Or it's, it's going to be you know, a really poor journey for you. You're, you're going to have limited success. It's not going to be good. So how do you catch them up really quick is you let them know, first of all, here's the work ethic. You want to make it work? What time do you get up for school? You got to get them again before 30 or five o'clock. You got to get, uh, you got to start running and you got to start lifting and then you got to start getting into school and then you got to get there at noon and start a series of push-ups, pull-ups, other calisthenics. And then you go to practice. This is a lifestyle. If you want to win at the highest level. Now, if you just want to be a guy on the team, I can show you how to do that too. You know, show up at school, show up at practice, and then leave. If you want to get better, then you're going to have to start drilling technique. And we'll find out what works well for you. Because everything I did doesn't necessarily translate to what someone else is going to do. But like I told them, I said, you want to get better? It's going to take 10,000 reps just to get into the game. So, I mean, how do you get 10,000 in? Well, it's actually, it's not that hard. I mean, you know, if, if you do the math. So you're going to do a low single 10,000 times. How many times are you going to do it a day? Well, if you can get 50 in a day, each side, there's 100, and just start doing the math. You got five days at the start. All of a sudden, you got 500 in, you know, and then you start adding it up. And next thing you know, by the end of the season, you got 15, 16,000 reps in. But most people, you know, they do this with the idea that I'm going to drill a single leg. And I, I watch guys drill now. You know, they get in, they get 10, and they're done. And they do something else, and then they start wrestling live. Uh, it's, it's a different mentality. So, you know, coordinating the muscle memory uh, and then learning the technique, that's how it gets you there quick. 
but you got to do the work. I can't do the work for you. And, and they all understood that. You know, my, my oldest, Mark Jr., he didn't start wrestling till he was a junior in high school. That was the first time that he wrestled. And as Ryan said, he's a gifted athlete. He played baseball. He played soccer. He's really good. Um, he, was but, only, he actually came out for wrestling his sophomore year, but he had a fracture. You got to tell that story. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, you have a dad who's uh, supposed to be, you know, understanding and sympathetic. And I'm just thinking, man, this kid's just not that tough. You know, I, I don't know what it is. He went into wrestling practice. He started for a week or so, and I'm in the practice room. And he just keeps moaning every time somebody gets on top of him. Well, you know, this is how good of a dad I am. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah. His L4 vertebrae is fractured, and I've got him in there wrestling. So, you know, we finally get him to a specialist. They figure out that he's got a fracture in his back. Uh, he has to wear a, one of those body casts for uh, six months, 23 hours a day. Uh, and then he comes back the next year and says, I'm still going to wrestle. And I'm like, holy crap, this kid's tougher than I could ever imagine. So, you know, he, that's how he starts as a junior, but he starts as a junior, makes it to the state meet, and then he's all stayed his senior year and then places in the top five. Then he decides he's not going to continue to play baseball or soccer. He's going to wrestle in college. I'm like, man, you know, there's a lot of uh, easier extracurriculars in college <laughs> than to be on a division one team and to say, you're going to be a part of that program. And you know, I'm super proud of the fact that he did that. And, and that's great. And, you know, and, and his success in wrestling wasn't the same as his brothers, but you know, his, his grit and his grind to get in there and to do the work was equal to what they did. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it, it's, it, it's funny the journey that you have, especially as a dad, you know, a, a dad who's a coach whose kids wrestle and they wrestle for him. Then you have to watch him is not a great experience. I mean, you know, in, inside your gut, it's very rewarding, uh, but it's hard. Uh, you know, my wife always tells me, she said, you know, it was a lot easier watching you wrestle. I said, why? She says, just was, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's her answer. I mean, I don't even know how much she really watched the boy. She was at every match, but she was kind of one of those peakers, you know, she would like walk away and then look around and see what was going on. And, and, and we had a lot of matches between these three boys. Yeah. Man, Brian, you kind of have an unfair advantage now here. I'm at, sitting here listening to this guy. It's getting me all fired up. Like, wow, what an amazing situation to have him as a father and a coach. Yeah, I mean, it, you can see just his passion for it and, you know, the way he delivers a message and the way he's able to critique even the things, like the way he would break down my matches after my match, you know, after I had lost a match or, you know, even if I had a big win, but I didn't do things, you know, a certain way he did such a good job of breaking it down for us and, and under, you know, letting us comprehend it in a way that we could figure out how to improve and, and how to make those improvements. But, um, you know, I think the biggest thing that he did is he laid the foundation, but he didn't force anything on us. Right. He basically, like he told you, like he, yeah. he laid out what it would take to be, to compete at the elite level, but never once did he, did he ask us like, did you do this or did you do that? He would just say, Hey, this is what you need to do. And was never one of those helicopter parents that was trying to, you know, monitor everything that you did. And that's probably one of the things that kept us in the sport for as long as it did um, and gave us that drive was that, you know, we just felt like, hey, this is this is something you do yourself. Um, like all wrestlers talk about, you know, it's so rewarding because it's just you out there. There's a whole team behind you, you know, in, in order to get you to that point. 
but there's just so much that goes into that preparation and um, so much that you take away from the experience in itself. So uh, I'm glad my dad uh, decided to wrestle and not play basketball because <laughs> I would have really been in trouble because wrestling was a sport that stuck with me um, because I didn't have all the, the, the natural ability, the hand-eye coordination that my brothers had. And wrestling was one of those sports that I did learn at a young age that if you work hard, um, you know, you can, you can really go pretty far in the sport. Yeah. It's almost like he was like, look, here's the map and here's how you get yeah. there. But you got to swim across this river, go up this mountain, go through this jungle. Uh, they're throwing axes at, you know, at somewhere else. You, here's how you get there. Uh, if you want to do it, go for it. Yeah. Which is pretty yeah, great. You know, when, when I coached it, I had never coached at the high school level. You know, I, I coached at the, uh, the uh, D1 college level, so I'd never been a high school coach. And when I had an opportunity to do that with, uh, with Mark, with Ryan, and with Josh, I mean, it was a great experience. But the teaching portion of it is more rewarding in high school to me than it was in college. I mean, college is refining technique. High school is showing somebody something for the first time and watching them execute and become good at it, which is really, you know, I shouldn't yeah. say it's more rewarding. It's, it's equally rewarding, but it's, uh, it's different. Yeah, I get um, it. The, the, the team that uh, all three of my sons wrestled on was not a good wrestling team when we got there at all. And in the first, I don't know, the first year or two years, we were in the state finals as a team. And, you know, my approach was the same with the team as it was with my sons. And I told the team, you know, and, and I, with them, it was different because it's not the start of the season. We were like six weeks left. And I tried to put it in perspective. If you can work the hardest in your life for six weeks, if you can make wrestling the single most important thing in the universe for six weeks, if you can do everything you can to win in six weeks, I will show you how to get there. But you have to decide because I can't choose for you. You have to choose. So once they choose and decided that as a team, they would meet at the track at 5 a.m. and they would run before school. And then they would all drill in the afternoon. Then they would all practice. And then they'd come back in the evening and run again. Then they buy in. And then it becomes extremely important to them because right now they've got this goal, this six-week goal, not the whole season, just this last six weeks that gets them to the conference, the districts, the regionals, and the state. And all of a sudden, they're just looking at it from a completely different optic. These kids, you know, and we had you know, we had a diversity of kids. We had everybody from, you know, the higher end of the socioeconomic scale to, you know, I'm struggling at a trailer park. And I love that whole group of kids. And to bring those kids together, uh, you know, to me, you have, what, 15 kids on a high school program? Is that what it is? 15, 14? 14 weights, I think, yeah. Yeah, weight four, four, yeah. 14 weights. You know, I used to say, I need five wrestlers, five athletes, and four kids that want to go for a ride. You give me that group, and I will take you there. And that's what we had. Five kids that were really serious about wrestling, five really good athletes, and four kids that, man, you know, these are the fill-ins in, in the lineup. But they're willing to work hard, and they're going to willing to do things – that normally they would never be able to do. And they can accomplish, you know, not ordinary for them, but extraordinary things. Sure. So, it, you know, it was a rewarding thing. It was an interesting time. I've really enjoyed hearing you talk. And one thing I'm taking from it is, is what you're saying, but also you're like your demeanor, right? And I'm curious what you were like in the room. Did you yell whether it was encouraging or excitement or, you know, some coaches get worked up in different ways and yell, or were you always just kind of like even keel? 
I guess more, more or less even killed, but you know, a, a higher degree of intensity. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and taking that approach. So if you have a diversity in the type of kid that's in your program, we had a heavyweight, super great kid. Um, they used to call him the dozer. And he showed up one time and, you know, he was late for practice and it was during the holidays. And, and dozer was a recreational guy. You know, and so I could smell that he had, you know, he'd been out late that night and he wasn't, uh, you know, he, he was probably still a little bit under the weather. Yeah. And so I, I'm smelling on his breath. And I said to him, he goes, you know, coach, I'm not feeling that good. I said, that's all right. You and I are going to wrestle today. Uh oh. And we start wrestling. And then he says, I need a break. Oh, no, we don't take a break. We're just <laughs> going to keep going. And we kept going and going. And then, you know, Dozer went out and then he threw up. And I walked down the hall and I grabbed his hand. I brought him back in. We started wrestling again. He got sick again. I brought him back into the room. We kept wrestling. And I told him my job as a coach at this point was to get all the evil spirits out of you. And once we did that, then you were going to be in a position that you're going to be comfortable enough to start wrestling again and maybe forget doing something that you did before. And, that, and don't repeat that behavior. Now, that's a different way to approach. Hey, I think you've been out too late at night and maybe you were drinking. You're going to throw you off the team. Well, it doesn't help anybody, doesn't help him, doesn't help us. So the approach is really simple. Just expunge the evil spirits from him and then bring him back into the room and make him wrestle for an hour straight with me. <laughs> different approach. I love it. Oh, I but love it. Ryan, did you ever see him, you know, blow his, blow his lid or is it, was it always like tactical like that? As a yeah, father, more, I mean, I'm getting kind of personal, but yeah, go ahead. More so like that. Um, but, you know, he would, like he laid out with us, like this is the, the roadmap for success. He'd do the same thing before every practice. He'd let all the guys know what we were doing for practice. He'd let them know, like basically give them the agenda, say, this is, this is the plan. This is how many minutes we're going to wrestle live. This is how much we're going to work on technique so that guys could mentally prepare for it. Yeah. Because, you know, you and I both know there's a lot of coaches out there that would just keep extending practice, right? And they would say One practice more. is going to be an hour and a half. And next thing you know, it's three hours long. So I think for for that situation, my dad would usually run practice, I think, either once or twice a week. And then our head coach, uh, a guy by the name of Tom Fritz, um, who recently passed away, um, he would run practice the other days. And so between Tom and my dad, you know, they were – polar opposites. The personalities were so different that it worked really well. So the days that Fritz ran practice, it was a little all over the place and less organized. Um, whereas my dad would come in and everybody would kind of expect and know, you know, what to look forward to with those kind of workouts. And even though, you know, my dad's workouts were definitely more intense and tougher, guys would start looking forward to it um, because I think they could see the improvements that they were making based on, you know, the structure of those workouts that we would go through. Uh, but yeah, he wasn't, my dad is, he, he's not one to, uh, he's, he's a thinker. So he usually thinks through things and comes up with a solution versus just reacting. Um, and he operates the same way in business. So there's a lot of things I learned from him in wrestling that definitely transfer over to business. And then I've learned the same things in business working with him, um, you know, that transfer over to everyday life stuff, you know, whether it be your family life or, or whatever it is. So I think he's always kind of had more of that, um, uh, even keel personality where uh, he, he makes sure he's kind of analyzing the situation and um, a little bit more, um, just a more analytical approach, I guess you could say. Okay. Uh, man, with that in mind, Mark, being very thoughtful and I'm, I'm going to jump forward uh, to Ryan's senior year. 
because I've, I've, I was there and uh, the NCAA finals in Oklahoma, right? And the very controversial match and a bunch of close calls kind of all went the other way. Um, I'm curious what your initial thoughts were on that match and where, where your temperament was and then if, if things have changed. And if anybody doesn't know, I guess that's how it went. Yeah, he bunch of, lost a bunch of close calls. Yeah, that's I, you're being very kind, but yeah, that's, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that that match was a train wreck. Uh, it, it just was, and it was just like one thing after the other after the other. You know, it, as a wrestler, especially if you're if you wrestle at uh, compete in any sport, but in, in wrestling because that's our sport, the three of us collectively. Uh, you know, when you shake hands with somebody, you're out on the mat, you start all those feelings prior to the match go away. Yeah. It just ends when you're, when you're on the outside of that, especially when it's your child. So it's your son that's out there. None of that goes away. It gets worse during the course of that. So now you're trying to, um, you're trying to be the parent and the coach, but you're really not the coach. And then ESPN lets you get down on the floor and you're standing closer there and, you know, you, you don't want to pretend you're the coach because you're not. Uh, you're not yelling the stuff that you would normally yell. Uh, can he hear you? I don't even know if he can hear you. But I'm watching the match and I'm watching this thing come apart. And I've always told all of my sons, you need to be better than one bad call. You have to be better than one bad call. Because if you're not better than one bad call, uh, officials aren't perfect. They're humans. They make mistakes. So you have to suck it up and get better than that. What I, what I never was, what I never thought would happen is there would be four or five bad calls in one match. And, and I would say not just bad calls, but wrong calls. They, it, it was wrong. And again, you know, the official had a bad day and we, there's been bad days before. And it was like a train wreck. It was like one after the other, after the other. And as it, was going on and you're looking at it and you're going, I don't, this shouldn't be happening in the NC2A final. You've got this many of them. And, and it did. And when it was over, uh, it was, you know, I, I tell people that, you know, um, when you train for something, you train extraordinarily hard for something. Uh, it is a dream. You're having the dream and you're seeing it. And when that dream ends, it is the death of a dream. Nobody died, but the dream died. And for Ryan, it was probably, uh, I would say it's probably the single toughest thing that I ever saw after a wrestling match. He was broken. And they want you to get right out and get on the award stand. And, you know, he just felt he was cheated. And I was like, yep. And what are we going to do about it at this point? You know, there was no instant replay. There was nothing. So at that point, you got to suck it up. You get your warm-up on and you hold your head up. And you get on that award stand. That's what you have to do. And that's what he did. And it was, it was not a good day for us. And actually, it wasn't a really good three or four weeks after that. It really, it really sucked. It was really pretty bad. But um, I will say this. His comment after the, uh, the whole thing had happened, within a few hours, somebody had asked him about, you know, the whole situation with the match. And it feels like maybe it was stolen from you. And this happened. And his comment was, if this is the worst thing that ever happens in my life, I'm going to have a really good life. Life's perspective. You know, so 
it's a you know it's the single most important thing in the universe for a moment and you have to keep that in perspective because it's only that moment and it's going to bug you for a while but you know wrestling is what we did it's not 100% of who we are and that is you know that is the life lesson that you know he took away from this at a really difficult time so you know in looking at it in hindsight i had that match analyzed i sent stuff to the nc2a uh, they instituted, uh, you know, video review after that, it was, which was one of the things that I specifically asked for, because there was some of that stuff that was just off. And it was it was several years later where the official actually approached me at the airport uh, after one of the NC2A tournaments in uh, St. Louis telling me, he says, hey, I got that wrong that week. I said, hey, you're talking to the wrong guy. I said, the guy you got to talk to is sitting down the hall uh, having a coffee. And he picked up and he walked down there and he says, hey, I didn't get it right that day. You know, but what are you going to do? You know, and, you know we, we saw a perfect game in Detroit one time. That wasn't a perfect game because the official missed the call. But the guy was out, but he called him safe. You know, we're all human. We make mistakes. Uh, and it's tough. It's tough to, to deal with when it first happens. But, you know, you, you get the joys of the victory and then you take the downs of the losses and the losses, they stay with you longer than the, uh, any joy you've ever had in the victory. Yeah. Well put. Uh, I guess on that note, Ryan, let's just like kind of same question, right? To you, maybe as it was happening or, or shortly thereafter. And then if your perspective changed at all, although it sounds like you had a good quote perspective that night, even. Yeah. I mean, going, going through that experience, um, you know, definitely, you know, I mean, it's, you know, wrestling, there's going to be an outcome where, you know, not everything goes your way. Um, I think, you know, going into that, Matt, um, I had wrestled um, Johnny Hendricks the year before I lost to him in the semifinals um, in a close match, but he out, he out wrestled me the year before. Um, I think it was like five to three. And um, we were supposed to wrestle our senior year, or my senior year, we were supposed to wrestle at the all-star match. And, um, and I had an injury and didn't wrestle in it. Uh, and, um, I think he, I don't know if that was the match he got beat or not, but there was a kid from Cal Poly that year that I ended up wrestling in the semifinals at nationals who beat him during the year, caught him in a cement mixer and pinned him. And that's why I ended up being the number one seed going into the tournament. And he was on the bottom half of the bracket. Um, so, I mean, going into that match, I knew it was going to be, uh, an extremely tough match. Never once would have thought of like, you know, if calls don't go my way, you know, what's going to happen? Or, you know, you don't play those scenarios out. You just go out there. You kind of have your game plan. You know what he's good at. Um, you know, you're going to try to execute on, on what you're good at. And, um, you know, so I felt very confident going into the match. Um, and it just was one of those matches that it just seemed odd at times. Like, you're not you're not going to get 100% of the calls. But, um, and, and you usually don't, you know, they don't all go against you either. It was just one of those that, unfortunately, they didn't have video review. So any of the close calls that were like takedowns that were called off the mat, um, you know, I just felt like the momentum, I never had the momentum going in my favor until uh, towards the end of the second period, I caught him in that cradle and was able to put him on his back. And, you know, then there was the question, should it have been two near fall or three near fall? And was he pinned or was he wasn't? And which was fine. Like he didn't call the pin, you know, sometimes these refs get in tough situations and you're on a big stage there and, Either, you know, you see it where they call the pin too quick at times, right? And everybody questions, was he really pinned? And then you get the opposite. He was pinned, but the rap doesn't call it right away. Um, unfortunately for me, 
you know, it wasn't one of those times that he just hit the mat real quick. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I, I went into the third period uh, with a lead. I was winning the match. And Hendricks chose down. Um, and I rode him for a little while. But, you know, Johnny Hendricks was a great wrestler, great college wrestler. And he was really good in the bottom position. He was not an easy guy to ride. Um, and I knew that, like, going in. I knew in the third period that I, there was a chance I wasn't going to be able to ride him the whole period and that I was going to have to get another takedown to seal it up. And, you know, unfortunately for me, it, it didn't happen that way. And, um, you know, got taken down with like seconds left, which, at, you know, wasn't, I think that was a questionable takedown as well, but was um, less questionable than the previous ones. Uh, but it just was one of those matches that was like my dad explained, like everything seemed to be going wrong and I didn't get a call to go my way. And I knew to beat somebody like Johnny Hendricks, I was going to have to be on my game and, um, and I was going to have to beat at least one bad call. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you walk away from a match like that. And like my dad said, you know, at the time it seemed like <clears throat> it was the worst thing that could ever happen to me. And, you know, I just couldn't understand how I couldn't pull that match off. I had finally got myself to the finals after losing in the semis, my sophomore and junior year, and just felt like the stage was kind of set for me to win it. Um, and it just didn't happen. Uh, and, you know, you walk away and yeah, it's, it's tough for a couple of years after that. Cause you know, my brother, Josh had two years left. And um, I almost felt like it was worse because the next year, Josh lost in the finals in overtime in Detroit. And I I just felt like if he would have won, I would have felt better about the whole situation because I wanted him to win so much. You know, I wanted him to win a title so badly um, that I almost wanted him to win a title more than me to win a title. Like I'd almost sacrifice the title for myself for him to win it. Um, and so we both. And, and more so for my parents to go through that year, you know, one year after another, it was tough as a parent, um, but also as a brother to watch your brother lose a year after you lost in a tough fashion. Um, but that's, you know, that's our sport, right? That's what makes us that much tougher. Um, that's what gives us perspective in life. And at the end of the day, it's such a small component of, of your overall life and the things that you're going to try to accomplish in life. Um, that, you know, I, I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to wrestle in that match because anybody that has had an opportunity to wrestle in the national finals, it's a, it's a pretty special moment um, to be able to wrestle on that stage in front of that many people. Um, there's just nothing like that in our sport of wrestling, right? Even at the highest level in the world in the Olympics, you don't get that many people packed into an arena just watching one match. So that in itself was, was pretty awesome. Um, and, you know, I just, um, I was part of so many good teams at Michigan and then was able to coach for a couple of years there and see guys win national titles. Um, my, you know, one of my teammates won a couple titles when I was there and just that in itself um, is something cool to be part of. Uh, and, you know, I look back on it and it's much easier to deal with now when I go to the national tournament, the first couple of years, it was tough going back there and watching the finals because you would just replay every moment of that match and all the things that you potentially could have done a little bit different. Right. Um, and that being my senior year, I didn't have another chance to come back. I needed the COVID year so that I could come <laughs> back and one more, one more chance to try to relive it. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I was, yeah, I had a great career. Uh, I'm proud of everything that I was able to accomplish alongside my brothers when I was at Michigan and to have my dad as, you know, also be one of my, you know, one of the guys in the room and one of the coaches at Michigan for a short period of time and spend that time together just made our journey that much more special. So, uh, you know, I look back on it now and yeah, it's unfortunate, you know, you didn't win the whole thing, but at the end of the day, you got to experience a lot throughout college. And, um, you know, I wouldn't take that back for anything. 
Sure. You know, I, I've, I've been asked many times about, you know, the experience of coaching your sons. And a lot of people tell me, you know, that's the worst thing. I, you know, it was terrible trying to coach my sons. It was an awesome life experience for me. I mean, just absolutely the best. Uh, I, I couldn't have, uh, I, I couldn't have written a better script. I guess I could, they would have won in the finals, but I, you know, I, I, I apart from that, yeah, I, I just couldn't. I mean, it was just an awesome experience. Uh, and, you know, people use that term awesome a lot, you know, but to me, it really was. I mean, it was, it was very, very special. Um, you know, e- even having to watch them lose in the finals, people say, well, hey, would you give up two of your titles so your sons could have been national champions? Well, first of all, you can't. And secondly, if you could, definitely I would. Why wouldn't I? I'd give all yeah. three of them up. You know, um, the feeling that you have winning a title, at least for me, goes away. I mean, not. I can describe to you a couple of losses I had in far greater detail than the wins. Uh, you know, I just, I just can't, I mean, and, and that's kind of the part that stays with you and makes you stronger, makes you tougher. Uh, the wins, they happen. And then you just kind of move on. Uh, but uh, you know, having that experience with them has really been a special thing. And, you know, I recently, I, I had, uh, had lunch with Tommy Rollins. He called me up and he was telling me about his sons and that, and, you know, so here we have, you know, an old Wolverine and a not so old Buckeye getting together and having lunch and talking about the important things in life, yeah. which is, you know, our, our, uh, his sons right now and what they're doing and how he's bringing them up through wrestling and you know, really what his plans are and, you know, how, how I did things. And, you know, my roadmap isn't the same journey that everybody should walk. I mean, everybody is a little different. It just happened to work for us. Fantastic. Um <clears throat> One last thing there, and Brian or Mark, was he was he pinned? Did he, was there a pin? Was he pinned at the end of the second period? Oh no, not... no question. Yeah, no, no question. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it was a fall. Okay, there's a there's a a guy named Ed Benkowski, and he's been around the Michigan wrestling program since I think the late '70s, early '80s. He, you know, I think coached a little bit at some point. It's been a part of uh, the wrestling camp since the 80s, and he's a photographer as well. And so he has pictures from the Nationals, and he always reminds me, you know, he's one of those guys that always brings it up. You know, as you get older, like, you don't, you know, it doesn't bother you at all. But, like, in the beginning, I'd always be like, well, you know, I haven't thought about it today, but now that you say it, I'll probably think about it for the next two weeks. But he'd always send me this picture. And he'd be like, you should have that framed in your, in your office. And it, and it was the picture of, you know, him being pretty flat from a certain angle, Yeah. but you know, depending on what side the ref was on, it's hard to say. I think if anything, there should have been at least three near fall versus two near fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I think he was on his back for more than five seconds, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, it, you can always analyze it a, a number of different ways, but at the end of the day, he didn't call the pin. So yeah. that's the most important thing is <laughs> it didn't, the call didn't, wasn't made. I just, just from, you know, it, it, and you could say maybe I'm not an expert at that, but I did pin two guys in the NC2A final, so I've seen what it looks like. I say it was a pin. <laughs> to the expert. Um, yeah. Great. Well, I, I definitely I, – I want to talk about CKLV, right? That's coming up this weekend. Yeah. But I think you said it was Caesars or – how did it start and what was it called? How did you – yeah, we'll start with that. All right. So the uh, the tournament started – a year before it was the Caesars Palace Invitational as the Western Open. So we wanted a tournament that would compete with the Southern Open and the Northern Open. Southern Open was in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Northern Open was in Madison, Wisconsin. And we needed a Western Open. So I had the Western Open one year. 
Uh, I, as the wrestling coach at UNLV, was exposed to a lot of things that no other wrestling coach would ever see. Uh, so because of the guy that was the head wrestling coach at the time, Dennis Finfrock, Dennis was um, he was not just a wrestling coach. I mean, he was a biology teacher at uh, a local high school, started the UNLV wrestling program as a club, got it to be a division one program, set up a company. It was very entrepreneurial that did uh, ushered people to their seats at major events at Caesars Palace. The very first weekend that I was in Las Vegas, I saw I was ringside. I ushered people to their seats, including uh, Joe Lewis in a wheelchair and Cary Grant. I mean, it was it was like an odd experience for a Midwestern kid to, to be there. And I sat ringside and watched Larry Holmes box Ernie Shavers. I never realized how hard heavyweights hit. It was it was unbelievable. So I'm exposed to this whole thing and all these different events. And as this process went on, I was an assistant for two years after, you know, the 80 games didn't happen. Uh, I became the head coach at UNLV and I knew these people at Caesars Palace. So I just pitched them on this deal. I said, hey, we should have a college wrestling tournament at Caesars Palace. And, you know, if you guys would give me some at that time in December, Las Vegas was dead. There was nothing that went on in December in Vegas. Caesar's Palace had just built this new tower. They called it the Fantasy Tower. And I said, you know, if we do this wrestling tournament, I think I could get a lot of teams here. How many rooms could you comp me? And they said, well, how many teams does, uh, do you think you'll have? And I said, I don't know, you know, 30 teams, maybe 40 teams. Well, you take the top 10 teams in the country and you tell them their rooms are free. Oh, I said, yeah, no, no problem. <laughs> And I think I can make this work. So I got all these comped rooms in the Fantasy Tower at Caesars Palace. Uh, and then um, they came back and said, hey, we have an opportunity through a gentleman named Bob Halloran, who ran Caesars Sports Entertainment or Caesars World, it was called at the time. He's going to package your wrestling event with two or three boxing matches. Now, what I didn't know behind the scenes is he was really good buddies with Roy Carver. And so he was kind of doing this to impress him that he was going to put wrestling on TV. So there was this brand new sports network called ESPN. No one really knew who ESPN was. And they're going to come in. And I thought they were just interested in wrestling. I didn't know that they had three fights and a wrestling match that was part of the same contract that they put together. And so I had the wrestling tournament. It was a handshake deal. We called it the Caesars Palace Invitational. I got on the phone. I called all the coaches that I knew. Starting at the team that won the national championship, which was Iowa, they were a no. And I just worked down the list. And I said, you know, hey, you got free rooms if you come out here. It's cheap, uh, cheap airfare. And next thing I knew is I had all these teams. And here we are at Caesars Palace in the sports pavilion wrestling with ESPN televising. it. Now, I thought that I had kind of broken through the glass ceiling. I had the deal done now. I'm going to do a major college wrestling tournament every year. It's going to be televised. <laughs> well, until Flow Sports came back in, it never had any streaming or television from that whole period of time. So that deal at Caesars Palace, uh, the reason it worked out well for wrestling, but it did not work out well for Caesars Palace is because they were under the impression that wrestling fans spent the same kind of money as boxing fans. <laughs> and, and, and guess what? They don't. So, you know, mom and dad are coming to the match. You know, they're not high rollers. They might play, you know, a couple bucks in the slot machine, and that was it. So, uh, you know, the term they used is the drop was light. 
meaning the money that was spent in the casino was uh, very little. So with that light drop, we were out of uh, Caesar's Palace. And then I came on to this journey of keeping the tournament. So the purpose of the tournament from a selfish perspective, because you have to remember now I'm coaching at UNLV while I'm promoting this tournament and putting it on. West Coast schools at the time, and there were a lot of us, had no money. We were all basically broke. Uh, you know, we have some scholarship money, but we didn't have operating money. Everybody was raising, you know, their operating dollars. So the Midwestern and the Eastern schools, they had cash. They could fly West. And I mean, let's think about it, put it in perspective. Where do wrestling coaches go for tournaments, especially in the 1980s? No nice location. Oh, yeah, no, no. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They they don't go anywhere that is like a really cool place. They just go Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah, just that's where it is. And you go from one field house to the other. Now you get to go to Vegas. Well, that's a good thing. So now they're going to come to Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, all the Western schools, they're getting in cars and driving. They're coming from California because you got schools like Long Beach State and San Diego State, you know, uh, Biola College and Cal Fullerton. You know, all these schools that don't have wrestling anymore that at one time all came. You know, this was a big deal for them. They might be able to wrestle against a guy from Okie State. It was, you know, it was a major deal. Or Iowa State, you know, or the couple times that Iowa came out. That was a really, really major deal. But keeping the tournament going has been a challenge because of finding locations and how hard that was. And, you know, I was making a list today, and I, I mean, I, we've been all over the place. You know, we, we were at Caesars Palace, then the uh, Thomas and Mack Center. We were actually the very first event. They always say that Sinatra opened the Thomas and Mack. Uh, the Las Vegas Collegiate Wrestling Invitational opened the Thomas and Mack. We were the first event there. Sinatra's not alive to dispute that right now, but I mean, <laughs> you can look at the program and the dates of when he appeared. So it, it, it's true. We were at the original Aladdin Hotel that was under bankruptcy when we got there. Uh, and just keeping the event going was a crazy time. We're at the Hacienda Hotel, which has now been torn down and is gone. We were at a tennis pavilion, which was a total train wreck. And uh, we were the uh, we were at that time called the Hall of Fame Las Vegas Collegiate Wrestling Invitational because Myron Roderick was running, was leading the Hall of Fame at the time. And he wanted to brand a tournament. And I was so embarrassed at this tennis uh, pavilion. They wanted people to play tennis while we were wrestling. I mean, it, w- it was just a really oh bad situation. God. And Myron was like, don't worry, it's all good. And I'm like, I love this guy. You know, he's, uh, he's, he's sponsoring the tournament and it's, it's not looking great. We ended up at the Showboat Hotel for many years. Uh, we went from the Showboat Hotel to uh, the Thomas and Mack, or not back to the Thomas and Mack. We went to the Cashman uh, Center, which was part of the convention center, then to uh, the Las Vegas Convention Center. So we've been a lot of places over the years. And, you know, the, uh, there's an article. Written, the, you're forgetting one of the most important ones. What's that? Uh, Buffalo Bills in print. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. Prim. I wrestled at that one a couple of <laughs> times, I think. Yeah. yeah. Buffalo Bills in Prim, Nevada. It snowed yeah, back in like 99 or 2000. Yeah. yeah. That's a, that's a very interesting place. That is, <laughs> um, you know, in the middle of nowhere at the California border. How could I forget Prim? The reason Ryan remembers Prim is that was at a time that him and his brothers would come out to the tournament. They were little kids. Uh-huh. And when they, they were younger and they had the roller coaster and they had an unlimited roller coaster pass. They could ride it as many times as they want. 
Now, why you'd want to ride it more than once, I have no idea. But, you know, they thought that that was very cool. That and they had the Bronken Bull that was over there that uh, they could ride. The, the Prim Resort, we did several times at Buffalo Bills at the Star of the Desert Arena. Yeah. But when we did when we did that, the last time we were there, that place was in bankruptcy. <laughs> and I can attribute moving the finals to three o'clock to that, because what they told me is I got a call and the gentleman who was uh, at that time, the interim president that was the receiver running the bankruptcy, told me that we're not going to be able to have the event there. And I told them that's not going to happen. Yeah. And what he didn't what he didn't know is the gentleman that originally got me to uh, the, uh, the Buffalo Bills, a guy named Sid Rogers, was a very powerful guy in Las Vegas. And uh, so we still got to be there. The difference was he told us, well, you guys have to be out by five o'clock because I signed a contract for a Muay Thai fight and we're going to have the uh, boxing ring built and ready to go. Oh, my God. And I'm like, you know, our finals were always at 7 p.m. and we got done by nine o'clock. And actually, the coaches told me, we like this idea. We're going to be done by five o'clock and then we have the whole evening. So, you know, that, that one bad thing turned into a good thing for us. And we've always done the finals at uh, at three and we get done by five and the coaches have the evening. You know, so it's a it's a good thing. But we've had a lot of different things that have happened over the years at, uh, at this tournament and uh, none none crazier than at the Hacienda. Uh, you know, when you're in a tournament uh, environment, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. And there's a lot of stuff that goes on that no one ever sees. Like, you know, somebody comes up to me at the Hacienda and said, hey, there's a guy in the, uh, the weigh-in area, because, you know, we do night before weigh-ins at that time, and he wants to be weighed in. I said, well, weigh-ins haven't started. Said, yeah, but he's not in the tournament. I said, well, what do you mean he's not in the tournament? He says, yeah, he, he wants to weigh in, but he's not in the tournament. So I walk over and I see this guy and I said, you know, man, he said, I, uh, I told him, I said, hey, uh, first of all, he has no clothes on. I mean, he is standing there naked. And I told him, I said, uh, you know, I'll weigh you in personally. Steps on the scale. I said, you made weight. You're good. I said, get your stuff on and uh, you're going to have to go. And he told me again, he wants to weigh in. I said, I've already weighed you in. I said, I can only weigh you in once. And I said, you're going to have to get dressed. And he told me, he says, no, I want to weigh in again. And I walked out and I told security, I said, hey, I got a naked guy in here. He's tried to weigh in. Uh, I weighed him in. He's not in the tournament. Uh, the uh, security walked in, they called Metro police. They wrapped him in a sheet and carried him out. Now that's the kind of stuff that you normally don't see in a wrestling tournament. Uh, and no one else saw in a wrestling tournament, but you know, stuff that happens sometimes. Now, who's this obscure guy that just shows up, takes his clothes off, wants to be weighed in. Uh, and then you have to get rid of him. So, you know, I've had countless things that have happened through the course of this tournament. Besides the guy that, you know, just all of a sudden appears and wants to be weighed in. Uh, every year I have a surprise. I've only had that once, though. That was you know, the so weirdest thing? That was very strange. But, you know, you, you figure you're going to answer it with, well, weigh him in. <laughs> but it, it didn't work. It's back to like, uh, we're sponge the demons, kind of like. like yeah, just, just weigh him in and it? move on. Yeah. Was he college age? You think he was some, some random uh, Vegas local? I have no idea because the other issue I had at the Hacienda at the time is, is they, they, they gave us the wrong specifications for the room and it didn't fit eight mats. It only fit six. So, you know, now we're, we're getting closer to midnight and we're still resting. You know, so a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Just a lot of stuff that was going on. So um, just one of those things. What, uh, what are like maybe the, 
the highlights, whether it's something that happened behind the scenes or a crazy match or, or something, team race, or, you know, I know there's so much that happened over so many years. I'm just curious, like, oh, these moments stand out and not in, like, the guy trying to weigh himself in kind of way. I would say um... – I, I guess it's because Coach Dennis Toledo always always points it out to me that he says, you know, Abbott's the only guy ever won this thing four times. And I said, you know, I think there's been a couple other guys that win it four times. I'm not a great historian, uh-huh. but he always points that out. And to win that tournament four times is pretty tough. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that can go on there. Um, you know, I, I've had a lot of really, really quality guys that have come in that tournament and wrestled well. And I think um, – you know, one of the things that I take away as, you know, somebody that's been around wrestling a long time, I always think it's a good first look to uh, be able to see somebody you normally wouldn't see. Um, you know, Dan Gable never agreed with that. I don't think Kel Sanderson agrees with that either because they, they, I, think, I believe they believe that it's way too much competition too early in the year. And that's why they don't go out there, you know, and they've proven they don't need that. They bring their guys through uh, quite well. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the results prove that. But for most people, it's good to see that person. You know, it's good to see the Cal Poly guy that you're never going to see unless you're there, especially if, you know, he happens to be, uh, you know, one of the leaders in your weight at that point. So, you know, there, there's been a lot of high marks in the, in the overall tournament, but, you know, to be really transparent with you, Mark, just getting through that thing was uh, a challenge some years. And I, you know, I, I wasn't watching as much wrestling as I was just trying to navigate through it. Now, you know, I have, uh, Mark Jr. and Ryan both helping with the tournament, doing a ton of stuff. I used to do everything that they do, plus the stuff that I did. And that's that was like running the whole thing and doing what I do for a living. So, you know, people would say, you get there a week before. Well, you know, there's only one time I ever got there a week before. And that's when I could not locate wrestling mats. And I rented a trailer and I went from high school to high school with all these coaches that I still knew from the time I was in Vegas to pick up mats. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, come a long way from that. Now we actually own all the mats and they just come in a semi trailer and we just roll them out. It's funny how things evolve. Tell me what you remember about, uh, we briefly talked about this off uh, before we started, like Martin showing up, you know, with the camera trying to say what flow wrestling was in Oh six or seven, probably something like that. And, and what your what you thought about that whole thing. <laughs> Well, I guess I'll start with the, the precursor to that is, is that Martin used to show up in Ann Arbor. I didn't even know who he was. And he would crash at, uh, you know, with Ryan and Josh in their condo. You know, I was like, you know, what's this guy doing? He's, he's got this company flow and, you know, they're, they're promoting wrestling. And I said, oh, that's cool. I mean, if you're going to promote wrestling, then I promote you. I mean, that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, Martin approached us about, uh, you know, starting to stream, which, you know, streaming was a very new thing you know, stream, stream the, uh, the tournament, but before he even could stream the tournament, just out there with a video camera sitting at the edge of the mat. And then he'd be over there interviewing people. Uh, and he would be interviewing while he was running the camera. And, you know, then this stuff would show up online and it just was, it was so new to me. Uh, but it made sense. I mean, you know, if he's promoting wrestling and he's helping wrestling, then, you know, I, I think that I should help him. And, you know, so when he when he had the idea that he was going to go do this, uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm for it to a point, you know, the, to the point where, you know, uh, Ryan and Mark and I were at Flow headquarters years ago and telling us about the new software and how he's going to have these scoreboards and everything's going to be uh, interconnected and how this is all going to work. 
And then I asked him, who, who are you doing this with? Well, nobody yet. We're hoping you. And I'm like, eh, not starting with me. You know, this is uh, there's a lot going on here. So, uh, you know, to, 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 to evolve from where we started there to, yes, we started using, you know, Florina and all the software and bought the scoreboards and have everything hooked up. And, you know, how Flo has been a great partner with us over all these years now and moving forward. It's a great thing. It, it, I mean, it's really, you know, this is the one thing. Actually, there's uh, three things. It's still involved with the University of Michigan, the Cliff King Club. Uh, very involved in Beat the Streets here in Detroit. Uh, and then the wrestling tournament. That's kind of uh, the way I look at it. And at my age, that's my giving back. And the tournament has been that one thing. And the fact that uh, Flow has become the enterprise that they are, uh, that uh, – that we're having a conversation today about this wrestling tournament uh, is a really, really positive thing. And, you know, it's something that uh, I've become very appreciative of. Yeah. It's been, I mean, obviously it's been awesome covering your tournament, being a part of it. And, and for, even from before that, I was consuming, um, was it Gillespie versus Tannenbaum or some, some crazy match back in those, one of the first big ones, you know, I was just a wrestling fan watching it. And thinking how cool it was that there's these matches on the internet. And I, I knew about the mm -hmm. Vegas tournament. I wrestled in it. But to get to see it just a few years later was, was awesome. And to, like you said, kind of where we are today is pretty pretty remarkable. Um, Ryan, you're, for you as, a, well, I think a hundred different directions. But what are your biggest memories of this tournament as a competitor? I've, I'm, I'm assuming you wrestled in it. I don't know your results offhand. <laughs> I, I was able to wrestle in it uh, three years. My freshman year, I was hurt and had knee surgery in the beginning of the season. Um, but I mean, for like Josh and I, that was one of the coolest things about, you know, growing up around the tournament, going to the tournament from, I think the earliest, I think we were in either middle school. Yeah, Middle school was probably the, the time we started really coming out to Vegas and watching the tournament and started following college wrestling. And for us, it was like the coolest thing ever, right? To see all these top college wrestlers competing at the highest level, um, and so like our thought of like one day wrestling in the tournament was always like a dream in itself. Um, and so after my freshman year, I got hurt, didn't get, wasn't able to compete in it. Then my sophomore year, um, I lost in the quarters or semis to Jeremy Spades. Um, and, uh, at the time was like, I thought it was like, you know, terrible loss. And my dad had to, you know, walk me back and, and, and <laughs> talk me through the thing, came back later that year and beat him at the nationals. So. Um, but then I went on and I, I was able, I won it my junior and senior year, um, wrestled to a, two, two Missouri guys, actually, Matt Pell and Tyrone Woodley. Um, and, um, I had to look up, I didn't even remember those results. The one thing I take away and I remember the most from that tournament as a competitor or as, you know, with my brother is my brother, Josh, um, I think it was my junior year, either my junior or senior year. So he would have been a freshman or sophomore. He was in the finals wrestling against Derek Moore. Uh -huh. And Derek Moore was beating him pretty much the whole match. They had kind of gone back and forth, but Derek had to lead the whole match. They went into the third period. My brother, Josh, I think was down by like three points, reversed them, cut them loose. There was like 15 seconds left in the match, 20, 15, 20 seconds left. He gets in on a low single, catches him in a cradle and ends up pinning him with like 10 seconds left. And um, that was, and at the time, I don't know if Derek Moore had already won the nationals, if he was the defending national champ. Um, but that was like just a, such a cool moment. Um, you know, come, come from behind victory, you know, watching my brother. And then I went out and wrestled a couple matches later. Um, but that to me was like one of the coolest takeaways from the tournament, just growing up around it and then winning it the same year as my brother, 
you know, wins it in, in that fashion um, was pretty cool. And then transitioning out of wrestling in it to then, you know, helping run the tournament now for the past 10 plus years um, is just, you know, it's a cool story. It's, you know, it's just something really cool to be a, a part of and continue the legacy that my dad started. Yeah. Um, side question. Well, the whole time you're out in Vegas, a week that one time, Mark, you, Ryan, you got back there. You guys ever go out and throw some chips on the table or is it all business? Yeah, I, I learned a long time ago. There was a guy named Bill Wildcat Morris. And Bill Morris was uh, one of the owners of the Holiday Casino Center Strip, which is now Harris, across from Caesars Palace. And when I first moved there, uh, he was a huge booster to the university. And he helped out the wrestling program a lot and helped out the wrestlers a lot. Uh, he told me, he said, uh, remember one thing. All the money in Las Vegas is made on my side of the table. And I didn't quite understand that at first. And then I realized his side of the table is the side I don't sit on. Yeah. You know, so if you're, you're in the, on the, uh, at the, the blackjack table, uh, he's on the other side of it. That's where all the money's made. And, I'm, and I've never been a lucky person. I've just been, you know, someone that has to work hard and get what they get. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, for me, the, the business of the tournament, uh, I'm, I'm not a good uh, Las Vegas tourist, you know, as it comes to, uh, to gambling. Not, not my thing. N never has been. And even though I did deal craps one summer in, uh, in Las Vegas and went to dealer school and was going to learn the gaming business, I just realized it wasn't for me. Sure. sure. Um, last thing, we, I, and I know it wasn't the guy who got an impression of it. Does Mad Murray, does this ring name ring a bell, Murray? Right, who I, I I've seen him out at the tournament, and and I heard stories. He like used to wrestle a chair in the background and like pretend like he was getting ready to make weight. And this is a a, a character within the sport. Yeah, Murray's been around a long time, and he used to come in and he would uh, he would warm up like he was going to wrestle a match. He'd be in a singlet, and he'd go to step out and come back in. A lot of people said, you know, he needs to be thrown out of the arena, and that. My approach was, again, with Murray was just different. You know, I, I think Murray's had a lot of challenges, but I've always liked him. And, and, and Murray is, uh, is not his first name because I had, and I can't tell you what his name is. He showed me his driver's license. And I, I wanted to have as, uh, you know, as uh, clear of a moment I could with him. And we were in Prim one time and I said, listen, I want to see your driver's license. I want you to tell me your story. I really just want to know what your story is. And he went on to tell me that his dad was a haberdasher, owned clothing store, uh, and that, uh, you know, he has a sister and that, you know, he travels the country and he loves wrestling. And I said, that's a good thing. Uh, and, you know, he went on to tell me a little bit more information about himself. And I said, you know, that's that's fine. I said, you know, Murray, you know, you're not going to wrestle a match here, right? And he told me, I know that. I said, and, you know, you can warm up all you want. And I said, you can add your singlet on and you can almost go out on a mat. But I said, you can't actually go on a mat. And he, he understood that. So we've been, we've been good ever since that. But he did run into security at Prim one year and he told me he was done with wrestling and he disappeared for a long time. But, you know, he does, he has appeared in Las Vegas in the yeah. last few years. Uh, and he does appear in the University of Michigan wrestling room at the Bonner Center every once in a while. And he comes I, and he's like, he's going to be like a mythical character. I don't know how he gets from point A to B, but he does. And Sean Bourmet may have, have more insight than I have on that. 
Yeah, I've, I've seen him. I haven't seen him in Michigan, but I've seen him in Vegas and multiple places in Las Vegas. And I've seen him around in like the Midwest and a couple other rooms, maybe out east. Or I don't. Even, I just remember being like, oh, he's just, I'm here for something. He's here. And I, I knew I knew he went out to Vegas and I was I was curious if you had any insight. And that's again cool the way you don't hey get this guy out of here. You're like warm up, you can warm up. You can't get on the mat. You can almost get on the mat. But you can't get on the mat. Yeah, and I feel like that just is like telling of, of the way you are and everything I've kind of come to you know, I've known you for a while, but I haven't been able to spend this much time just kind of picking your brain. And I think it's been awesome. Um, and unfortunately, we're, we're getting right down to the end of the line because we got another show that, that is going to pop in here um, starting here in just about 10 minutes. But um, maybe looking forward, uh, what's your ex- I'm I'm just looking for it to continue. I mean, yeah. we, we do everything we can to make it happen every year. Uh, you know, of uh, all the events in Las Vegas, we were the last to cancel during the COVID year. And even though Ryan and Mark were telling me I was crazy, I was trying to figure out a way to make it happen. Um, you know, I, I, I just I just wanted to, to, to keep the continuity. Uh, we've always been the first week of December, with the exception of one year that we could not get it. And I ran the tournament Thanksgiving weekend. And I had 25 teams that showed up and we wrestled that weekend. So we've always had the tournament consistently going on other than the COVID year for 40 years. Pretty awesome. Um, Ryan, any, any, any thoughts on that or, or closing thoughts in general? Yeah, I think the same thing, just keep keeping the tournament going, um, looking for ways to, to innovate, make it a better experience for the fans and, uh, for the wrestlers, obviously the partnership with flow has allowed, you know, the, the fans, the, the families that can't make it out there, you know, the ability to, to, to watch some of the best competition. Um, but yeah, continue to do that. And, um, hope that we always have a venue to, to, to hold it in. Cause like the, the week of the tournament now is the same time as the national rodeo finals. And between that and Cowboy Christmas, they pretty much take over Vegas. Yeah. And that's where we always have um, a difficult time finding an arena. Cause our, our preference would be to find an arena to host it in. And there's a few in, in Vegas that, um, that would work. It's just, it's, it's always been tied up in the rodeo. So um, that's our ultimate goal is maybe to try to find an arena to host it in, because I think that then gives the fans a, a better experience the way it's set up right now. There's really no great way to configure the map to get them, you know, in a position where the fans can see all the action from the, from the stands. Um, so yeah, just things like that and, you know, continue moving it um, in the right direction. And um, yeah, we look forward to the years to come. Awesome guys. Well, I'm definitely stoked about this weekend. I'll be out. Thursday, I think. Yeah, tournament's Friday. So uh, I look forward to seeing you in person. And really, I, this has been a true joy. It's been it's been a great time talking with you guys through, you know, the father-son, the coaching, everything in, into the tournament itself and the history. And I'm sure we could sit here for another two hours and not run out of things to talk about. But we all must move on. So, so thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. And I will see you in just a few days. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, thanks. Mark. All right. Take care. Take care. All right, folks, and that's going to do it for today's show. Like I said, it was it was awesome. I could I could talk to these guys for endless, but um, but we must move on. So thanks for thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Adios.